Happy holidays, creepy cats. Welcome to a new episode. Today, Jackie will be sharing a story that she found involving a Christmas killing. This episode will discuss the double murder of Stephen and Carla Barron and the twisted truth that caused these crimes. Please be aware that this episode will discuss violence, murder, and the death of an infant. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, creepy cats? Welcome back to the podcast. We are here with another Christmas Killings episode. And today I'm going to be telling Melissa a little story from Tyler, Texas in 1999. Oh, Texas, baby. Taking you back a little bit. Very... Very opposite from my story, England. We're going to Texas. Right? And we're just going to hop right into it. Mine's kind of like Mel's. There's not a lot of backstory. And honestly, the story is kind of short, but it's like I hadn't ever really heard of it, so. Did you hear of it, or did you see it on one of your little oxygen shows? <laughs> I saw it on Homicide for the I Holidays. I it! <laughs> I love those shows. I love, oh my god, I love true crime so much, but they always have good stories. Okay. So I did see this one on Homicide for the Holidays. Real quick, not to pin two queens against each other, but if you had to choose oxygen or ID, oh choose god. your fighter. Um, ID, because <gasps> they're like the classics. Really? I don't know why. I was going to say oxygen. They give no cheese, though, so if you want some cheese, like, definitely you have to watch ID. Yeah, that's true. Let us know your guys' thoughts on that one. Yeah, that hot take. Anyway, (laughs) this, so, this was in, yeah, Tyler, Texas, in, obviously, December 1999. We're talking about the Barron family, uh, Stephen, known as Steve, and Carla Barron. So, this is, like, a tiny little town, and people really go ham and, like, decorating, and they love to do the whole thing. They're big on their decorations there. Oh, love that. Yeah. Um, Stephen and Carla Barron, they're Jehovah's Witnesses, so with their family, they don't celebrate Christmas and don't decorate, you know, they don't do the whole traditional thing that most families do, and that's totally okay. Everybody respect everybody. But, um, <laughs> so, uh, they're just like a normal married couple. They've been together for 18 years and they have a daughter named Stephanie and she was 17. People said that they were a really pleasant family and they were a really nice family. They were the type of people who would do anything for anybody and were always there to help people. We all know families like that. Well, they're on this podcast, so something's going on behind closed doors. Yeah. So, on Christmas Eve, it's Christmas Eve for most, like, if you celebrate Christmas, but for them, it's just basically another night. They were just hanging out as a family. They all went to bed as normal, but around 4 a.m. on December 25th, 911 received a call. It was actually 420 to be exact. And it was from Car- <laughs> it was from Carla Barron's mom. She actually lived like right next door. 
And she had said that there was a shooting at the Baron's home. And Stephanie, the daughter, had gotten on the phone and said that there had been an intruder who had come in and shot her parents. Oh, no. Yeah, and that sadly she had hid in the closet and then had run to her grandma's house since it was right next door. So, detectives say it was like a quiet night. They weren't expecting, like, 911 wasn't getting a whole lot of calls. So, detectives were there pretty quick. I would hope it'd be quiet on Christmas Eve. Well, at this point, it's Christmas Day. It's 4.20 Christmas morning, so... Oh, my gosh. Like, yeah, really early in the morning. That sucks for those police officers having to respond on 5 in the morning on Christmas. I know, but thank you. Thanks, guys. So, detectives get there, and the door is open. They look in the house, like, for the shooter, but they do not find a shooter. They find Stephen and Carla are shot, and they are both dead. Oh, no. They don't find any forced entry. Like, I think the door might have been unlocked, but it wasn't like... that. There was no forced entry in the home. Okay. Suspicious. Yeah. Carla was laying on her back, and she had been shot under her eye one time, probably from a couple feet away, they believe. And she was also shot in the arm. Stephen was slouched on the mattress with his legs sticking out. It almost looked like if he had, like, gotten up and turned towards the wall and was, like, you know, getting out of bed that way. Mm-hmm. And Carla was in bed, I imagine? Yeah, like, Carla was in bed nearest the door, so she would have been nearest the shooter. Oh, so I imagine she was probably shot first and maybe the husband woke up and tried to... Well, they, so they say that Stephen... He had been shot in the neck, and they think he was probably trying to get out of bed to reach for one of his guns that was underneath the mattress. And there was another missed shot at the headboard, so they don't know, you know, what was, like, the order of those. But Oh, my God. He did have guns under the bed that they thought he was, like, trying to grab. And they they found, like, a good amount of cash in his wallet and just in the home in general. So, they're kind of like, what the hell? Because they don't think it's a robbery, but they couldn't understand what the motive was. Like, nothing's been taken, and there's no forced entry. Yeah, like, if you're robbing on Christmas Eve, you're searching the house for stuff. Or taking money that's in in people's wallets, like... Yeah. So, Stephanie said she saw her parents that night, and that she went to bed, she saw them, and everything was normal. Detectives searched her room, and it looked like a normal teenage girl's room. There was clothes and stuff around. It was kind of messy. They searched in the area for, like, any sort of evidence, like, discarded evidence around the home, and they didn't find anything. But they did notice that the phone cords to the home had been messed with, like, if somebody had tried to cut them but couldn't actually do it. Did they not have good scissors or something? I don't know. They must, maybe, they're probably, like, thicker than they thought. They're probably not just, like... Because I bet people try to cut them, so I'm sure they make them. Like, you can't cut them anymore. I'm, I'm picturing, like, plastic children's... 1999, though, so... I'm picturing, like, ch- children's plastic scissors trying to cut an electric wire. <laughs> that might have been what happened. So, they... Yeah, they find that, but they still don't really understand what the motive was, but they didn't really find anything in Stephanie's room. So they basically like ask her what's up. 
they still tell her that sadly her parents have been killed and she's sobbing and she's very, very upset. She said that she remembered being woken up in the middle of the night from hearing gunshots and that she hid in the closet and heard four shots and then she didn't hear anything. So when she heard silence, like for a couple, for a minute, I don't know, she ran out the back door to her grandma's house next door and that was when they called the police. So detectives are just like, we need to go back to the home because obviously we need to do much more searching. And they do like a deep, deep dive of Stephanie's room this time. Mm -hmm. And in the dirty clothes basket of Stephanie's room, they find a gun, which they obviously think is weird. And they can tell from the clothes that were like put on top of it and around it that it smells like gunpowder. So they're pretty sure that the gun was used because they can also tell that it had been shot four times and it had one round left. So, they're, like, pretty sure that that is the murder weapon. Damn, Stephanie, you couldn't even have hit it any better than that. And they also found a laser sight that had fallen off the gun. Shit, Stephanie. Wow, that really went from her being, like, sobbing and then being, like, let's just search one more time. (laughs) And finding your loaded gun. Well, no longer loaded. Yeah. So, they do a gunshot powder residue test on her that night. And they also noticed that on the wall in her room, there, like, there's some pictures hung up, normal teen stuff, and it's, like, Stephanie with with a good amount of guys, and in some of these pictures, there's, like, a guy or two who are flashing gang signs, which, like, obviously, white detectives, especially in Texas, when they're looking at pictures of black teens holding up gang signs, they very quickly... You can just tell from the episode, we're like, this is connected. Oh my gosh. They probably immediately thought it was some, like, Mexican cartel shit. Well, they just thought it could be, like, gang-related. I don't know. So, like, teenagers hold up signs. Okay. Yeah, literally. It's a That's picture. what I thought, but they did think that. But, I mean, it was 1999. Not, it's just, I'm sure it was typical of, like, what detectives and police were taught to think back then. True. So they see on the closet door, um, it's, like, written in Sharpie, I love D. Ooh, the letter D. who's D? Yeah. The D. <laughs> so they do the gunshot residue tests on her, but they it actually uh, comes back negative. Damn, I thought they really found the literal smoking gun. Right. And they trace the serial number for this gun, and it comes back to a woman named Beth Little. What? Like, this random woman. She says that her gun had been missing since October when her house had burned down. She lived, like, in the area. Um, And she had been on vacation, and her TV apparently had shorted, and her house burned down. But she said she could, like, never find the gun after it burned down. That's really weird. Can you imagine detectives call her and they're like, yeah, we actually have that gun. And it was just used to kill two people. To kill a teenager's parents. Wow, you Christmas feel like... morn. Oh my gosh. Merry Christmas. Yeah, here's your gun back. <laughs> have a good new year. <laughs> so later that day, uh, they call Stephanie back to the station to like question her hardcore. And... Okay, I am just going to say this, though, really quick. I'm not sure the order of them finding out the gunshot residue test. I'm not sure about 
when they asked her about the gun, like, they must have found that right away, but I'm not sure if, I don't know, if they didn't really press her on that, because it seems like in the initial interview, like, later on Christmas Day, that they weren't asking her about the gun. Okay. That's my impression of it, but I could also be wrong. But it's not like they didn't find the gun that day, so... Maybe they just wanted to see if Maybe she they were would waiting say on anything. the gunshot residue test too. I don't know. True. Maybe they wanted to see if she would like mention it, thinking like if she would get nervous and think they found it. Yeah. So they questioned her for like two and a half hours. They asked her about going to Chapel Hill High School, normal stuff. She said she wanted to be an elementary school teacher and like when she was in middle school she was doing really good and had really good grades and all was well. But the last year of school that she went to was 11th grade, and then she had quit school. She says she quit because her mom had found out that she had sadly had a brain tumor, and when they removed it, her mom had a minor stroke, and then she had a hard time walking, and she would get really bad migraines. So... That's horrible. Yeah, so that caused Stephanie to, like, stay home and care for her mother, but it was also another reason why when the shooting happened, they believed that it was possible and probably likely that Stephen was shot first and that Carla had, like, slept through it because she would, like, do that because of her migraines and because of, like... Right. It's so also... It's also weird then because it's also more pointing the finger towards Stephanie because it kind of seems then that someone knew that and chose to shoot the dad first because if the mom was closest to the door, right. your first thought would be to shoot the person closest to the door. I kind of thought so too. Damn. And Stephanie also talks very much in her interview about her little boyfriend named Denario Jones. I love Dean. Yep, her man. She says she loves him, like, multiple times in this interview. Okay, like, your parents were just murdered. I don't think the police give a fuck how you feel about Dee. Right? So, she says that she met Denario, um, like, I don't even know, but she said that when they met, she thought that he was asking him for one of her friend's number, but he was actually asking her for her phone number, and she was, like, all attracted to him and stuff, and so they started, like, going out, and she said that, like, her parents wouldn't approve because her dad did not approve of interracial marriage, or <gasps> dating, sorry, I mean, I'm sure not marriage either, but he didn't approve of interracial dating, so... Ew. Yeah, I mean, that's not cool. But he is one of the victims, so Lord rest his soul, but that's not cool. No. But uh, her mom did let Stephanie have Denario over, like, one time without her dad knowing. Mm -hmm. So it seems like her mom was, like, like... That's such a mom thing. Like, right? don't tell dad, but if you don't say anything, he can come over for, like, 20 minutes on the back porch. Oh, my God. So true. So Stephanie, like... Every other teen girl who's not allowed to see a guy still hung out with him in secret. Yep. And she started to seclude herself from her parents so she could continue her relationship with Denario. She said that she was in love with him and she thought that they were going to get married and have <sighs> kids. The whole way of thinking when you're a teenage girl. She's like, I'm just going to Sarah's house again for the fourth night in a row and I'm spending the night again. Yeah, literally. Be back tomorrow. <laughs> So, they investigate Denario, and they see that he has a criminal record 
for doing some burglaries. I'm not sure his age, but he was still in high school. I was just going to ask that. I'm not sure. Okay. But he, like, had, did some burglaries and was, like, a suspect um, in a couple things. So he was a suspect in, like, pretty quickly. And they're, like, investigating him and stuff. And detectives get this random call from, like, some guy. I don't even know who exactly he was. But he says that he has information about the house fire of Beth Little. Yikes. He says that, um, so this is actually the story of that little house fire. It's very, very tragic. Beth Little's neighbor... Her house, her name was Shelly, and I'm so sorry, I am blanking on her name right now, but it's obviously going to be linked below. But Shelly's house sadly caught on fire, too, when Beth's house fire spread to her home. Damn. She called 911, and detectives, like, there is a recording of the call a little bit played on the episode, in the call, uh, Shelly is coughing and says that she is stuck inside and can't get out with her baby. They could hear alarms, like, literally, they could hear the fire alarms going off and a baby crying in the background. And Shelly's, like, coughing, and eventually, sadly, Shelly passes out. Oh, my God. The firefighters do get to her, and they get her and the baby out and take them to the hospital. But later, both Shelly and her baby died from the fire, that started in Beth Little's home and then carried over to Shelly's home. That is horrific. Could you imagine the guilt that you would feel? From thinking like it was just your TV? Yeah, when oh you're on my vacation. God. That actually just made my stomach sink. Right? And so there, like, the fire was obviously pretty damaging. And there wasn't anything suspicious at the time or, like, really with the fire that made them think that it was sus at the time. But this guy calls on the phone and says that Denario had actually burglarized the home and then set it on fire. <gasps> yeah. That prick! Yeah. Oh my so, gosh, you actually just murdered two people. And listen to this. So, detectives go and they pick up Denario from high school and question him. And... They're, like, asking him about the shootings of Stephanie's parents, obviously, because he's the boyfriend, so he's just like, you know, I don't know nothing about that. And then they're like, so, um, tell us about these burglaries. And they could tell that they caught him off guard, like, he wasn't really expecting them to bring this up, because mm -hmm. he just thought that they had ruled that, like, an accident months ago, or whenever it happened. And he actually admits to it. And what? he admits and says that... Yeah, at the time, he needed money, and he broke into Beth's home and burglarized it, and he set the bed on fire and before, like, he left, and he didn't think it was going to spread, and it did spread, okay, obviously. But what the hell was the point of the fire, then, if you didn't think it was going to spread to the entire house? You already took all of her shit. Yeah, that is true. I mean, I don't know if maybe because you're younger and you don't realize, like, the fire... It's not going to be in the movies where it just destroys belongings, like, evidence. It's literally going to destroy everything and things around it. So, there's really no excuse for that, like, whatsoever. Yeah, I call bullshit on that because, first yeah, of all, there's it's... there's no excuse. It's, it's messed the, up. It's the 90s. If someone burglarized your house on vacation, you would probably, like, 
maybe call the police and have them look at your house the next night, but it's not like they're going to DNA test the house. Like, you didn't need to start a fire. Yeah, it's messed up no matter what the excuse is, because that's all it is, is an excuse. But he, like, says he took, yeah, Beth's gun, too, during this little burglary and arson spree. And so he took the gun, and he had met up with Stephanie later, and when they say later, I don't know if they mean, like, that night or, like, later on in general. I'm assuming later on in the week or something. But they meet up, and she says that she wants the gun. So he said he just gave it to her because, I don't know, I guess he just has this gun from the burglary. And he didn't she's ask like, why? Gonna... I'm sure he did, but that's not what he told detectives. True. <laughs> he said true. he she wanted it, and he gave it to her. So they take Denario and they charge him with arson and murder. But they check his phone records for Christmas Eve and his phone records indicate that he was at his grandma's house. So they really turn all their attention back on Stephanie. Wow, she did this on her own. Maybe. Okay, that is one thing that a lot of people say about this case. Like, I'll just say it now. Yeah, they don't ever tie Denario back into this. And that's one thing a lot of people are like, but he could have still helped. But then it's also like, there was no forced entry into the home. There's really no indication that there was anybody else in the home. Yeah, I wonder if, because it's the 90s, they have, like, phone records of him. I wonder... If, uh, no, I feel like if they were rolling him out enough, then they have to have records of him being at his house, sending, um, like having a phone call during the killings. But wait, it's four in the morning. I don't know. But we'll, I have so many questions about that, but okay. I agree, but I'm just like, okay. So friends of Stephanie's, when they're like investigating, they're investigating Stephanie hardcore now. Friends of hers said that she had kind of turned into a bad girl, like in the last year and that people had started to, like, think of her a different way, and she had, like, a bit of a bad girl reputation. Mm. She was starting to hang out with, like, just more guys and started to just, you know, hang with more of a guy crowd and stop taking care of her mom as much after her stroke. And her dad worked out of town, and he wanted Stephanie to obviously take care of her mom, and Stephanie didn't want to do that. Mm. Which, I mean, you... You're a teenager. I get it. But your mom has a stroke. She can't help that. And that's, like, serious. Like, help her out. Yeah. It's really sad because, like, you need to be helping your mother 110%. But at the same time, I do remember being in, being honestly in high school and being a little bitch sometimes. So. Yeah. And Stephanie says on the show, like, she was going to school and, you know, drinking at school and hanging out with boys and just being bad. So, she had actually been recently arrested in 1999 for writing bad checks because she stole her parents and she stole money from her parents and wrote a bad check because she wanted to buy a denario a birthday present wow at 17 that's that's getting serious and so she had gotten arrested on december 6 1999 for the bad check and her parents were obviously really pissed off and stephanie had to be on probation And that night that she was arrested, Steve actually let her spend the night in jail before picking her up the next day because he thought, like, that would make her learn her lesson, you know? Like, you got yourself in this trouble. Yeah, tough love. And after that, I mean, that was only December 6th. And after that, she was grounded, obviously. She wasn't allowed to see her friends. 
or go anywhere except for school and work. And that's when she just says, like, obviously the relationship was much worse. So it's like a couple months into the investigation. I don't know what exactly changes, but they finally get enough to arrest Stephanie and charge her with murder of her parents. While they're awaiting trial, Stephanie is searched in her jail cell and the guards find a handwritten note that contains like a full account of everything that happened that night, which they find kind of odd. Like it's it's just odd. So the note says that she got up at 2 a.m. and put on latex gloves and went to her parents' room and held the gun up and shot at her dad and then shot him in the neck. And then she shot her mom in the face and her dad was still like stumbling around. So she shot him again. And then she went back to her room and like threw off her sweatshirt and threw it in the hamper and it had the gun inside. And then she changed and ran to her grandma's house. Stephanie says that the handwritten note is fake and that she found it in her cell and was going to take it to her lawyer and that the girl who wrote it was Denario's ex's sister-in-law. This is... But the note actually wasn't in Stephanie's handwriting. So they, like, really don't know if she wrote it. So they go talk to this girl, this other prisoner girl. Yeah. And she said that Stephanie had written the note and then made her copy it in her handwriting. What is going on? I feel like I'm that Zach Galifianakis meme where it's just like all those different equations coming up. Like, that was just so confusing. I literally have no explanation for that. But for whatever reason, like, that note changes things because after that, Stephanie just pleads guilty. And she says it's to avoid the death penalty, and she accepts a sentence of 75 years. But it seems like something about that little note scenario, like... Something happened. Yeah. She either... She she was definitely doing some sort of plot with that. It was trying to use that note, I feel like, for some sort of plot that her defense was going to use. And then I think she's always like, damn, there's no way I can do that now. Yeah, and it just seems, though, way too accurate, though, to even be fake. Like, it just is. But regardless, she took the plea of 75 years in December 2029, she will be eligible for parole, I will say that. And Denario was also found guilty for his little crime, and I think he was sentenced to, like, 70-something years. What I want to know about that, going back to that note, is I want to know if detectives or police ever put it in the news that the gun was found in her hamper, because if not, and she... And detectives were the only ones to know that. Then physically, like, then how could that prisoner girl even know that? And how would they know, like, the four shots, though? And, like, the sh- I don't, just seems too personal. And that girl would at least have to have so much information about Stephanie to know that Stephanie's mom would have been shot second. Yeah, I don't know. It just seemed weird. That's really weird. It made her take the plea. 
Either way, that is so weird and confusing. Like, I'm, I'm gonna think so hard about that. Like, she still, she never really said like why she killed her parents. I'm not exactly sure if she's like maintains her innocence or her guilt. But we're gonna end this episode on kind of a funny note. I. Yeah, because that was crazy because I honestly just think she was pissed off about the checks and thought that her and her little D would be together forever. Well, uh, I'm glad you said that because they do think that she had a thought and, like, not that I relate to this, obviously, by any means, but I feel like this is really teenage way of thinking was that she thought she would get the benefits from it and her and Denario could, like, start their own life, which I feel like that's so teenage to just think you'll get all the money and, like, just reap the benefits. Oh, my gosh. She probably read that in a novel in the 90s And she probably was mad about being grounded. Yeah, that does make sense. I wonder if he had anything to do with it. I wonder that, too. So many questions. But that is the thing that's unsolved to me, but we're going to end on a somewhat, um, kind of a funny note. So I was obviously like looking at more stuff for this case and I stumbled upon this website called laurajames.typepad.com. It's like, I'm assuming someone's blog, but they were like talking about the Stephanie Barron case and I find this post, it's posted by user Steve Roloff from April 25th, 2007 at 5.20 p.m. And it just starts off, I am married to Stephanie Barron, and I can assure you she did not kill her parents. The fact is her boyfriend at the time, a young African-American man that was a gang member at the time of the murders, shot and killed Stephanie's parents. In fact, the gun mentioned in the book, The Christmas Day Murders, that was identified as the gun used to commit the murders, was traced back to the robbery and murder of a two-year-old baby and her mother. Um, (laughs) He goes on to say, like, more about that. Stephanie is an amazing, beautiful, kind, precious young woman who deals with the unbearable pain of losing her parents every day of her life. She sits in prison serving 75 years for a crime which she really was the victim. I have known Stephanie for many years and married her two years ago while she was incarcerated. We continue to fight for her release and believe eventually justice will show her face in this case. Anyone with any knowledge of of Stephanie's case knows that she is innocent. It is a shame that the powers to be in Texas, Tyler, Texas, aren't as concerned about justice. But then, he goes on to say, like, this... He goes on to say this long-ass post that Stephanie's step-grandfather was a Smith County judge and he was kicked off the bench and sent to federal prison for money laundering and that he convinced Stephanie to take the plea and somehow, like, her her step-grandfather collected money from that. (laughs) He says that she... Um, is working every day and has maintained a 4.0 GPA in college from being in prison. And she's a positive influence on his children and many teenagers that have been lost from her story. But I'm still not done. Oh, cause I was just about to go on such a rant, but I'll just let you continue because the rant that I have built up. So on May 17th, like a month after this is posted on the same thing just by someone named Edward. I want to 
say to everybody that Stephanie Barron did not kill her parents. She sends me letters, and I sent her letters too. I don't want that anybody say anything about Stephanie Barron. I love her, and she loves me too. She writes me love letters because she is sweet, and she told me that she didn't kill her parents, and I believe. Um... That person, Steve, says, this is another example of someone looking for attention from other, from our family's tragedy. This Edward freak is a liar. Stephanie never wrote this idiot any love letters. Get a life, dude. Imagine this girl's blog just watching these people fight about a murderer in the comments. Oh my god, but wait, it's still not... What the hell? Edward says, listen, I am not trying to get any attention of anybody, okay? He just, like, says that, um, hold on. Oh, wow, that post is long. Yeah. You're not that guy, pal, trust me. That's from Steve. He's just, like, going on and on. And, like, this Edward person, like, writes back. And eventually he just says, Edward, email me. And gets his email. This isn't the place for this. I know Stephanie had some guys write her letters before we were married. So, and then they, like, email back and forth, yada, yada, yada. And then eventually, Steve posts on May 28, 2007, I visited Stephanie on Sunday and she told me the truth about Edward. First off, I owe Edward a huge apology. (gasps) He was telling the truth. He had been writing Stephanie and she has written him back. Edward, I am sorry for calling you a liar. I am afraid, however, Stephanie was using you to get you to send money. I am very upset at her and disappointed in her choices. She is better than she has shown in this instance. I want Edward to tell me how much money he has sent her and I will return it to him. It breaks my heart to think my wife could use someone's emotions to get a few bucks. Stephanie will be writing you in a letter telling you the truth and apologizing for her actions. I am embarrassed for her. And then it just like goes on and on. What? And he says, Edward says, forget the money. She is a beautiful girl with a good heart. I hope that she can get out of there very soon. I just wanted to help her. But I am a... Litter, he meant to say little, litter upset with her because she told me that you left her four years ago. She could tell me the truth. Anyway, tell her from me when you see her that she is very special and I wish her good luck in you, Steve. Take care of her. Very good. What? And there are so many more comments, guys. Like, you can literally read this saga. Okay, send this to me immediately because I never expected this story to go this route. Are these people even real? And if they are, how do you not realize she's playing you both so people will get her out? She she's get, she, a murderer. She truly doesn't give a shit. In the deep-seated racism in the first sentence of Steve's paragraph is pissing me off. I know that she dated an, an African-American gang member. But you didn't tell the baby. Like, okay, yeah, he did, but that's not exactly how it was. And, like, there is just no evidence, though. There is even more evidence that he wasn't there. Like, what are they trying to say? There's no evidence that he was involved other than dating her. If all of that was true, like, that could be literally what does him being African-American have to do with anything? Because you didn't say Stephanie's race. So that just is, like, proving the racism. And the rest of the comments just prove the stupidity of these two people going back and forth that you could be literally fighting over a murderer in jail who has lied to to both of you via letter. Writing to her and 
prison. And she's still lying and still manipulating, but she's a really good person and a role model for your kids. Right? So I'll post that if you guys want some tea to Uh, read that that saga. Oh my, where the hell do you find these stories? You always find this shit. This reminds me of like the Roland story when he got all his diseases. (laughs) That is still, I'm sorry, like one of my favorite stories that we've told. Because Roland... Roland Petra is one of the most controversial men of our time. The con- most controversial person we've had on the show. Remember when he was sick with an illness, but then he became his brother? <laughs> <laughs> it is not funny, but that was his worst excuse. But remember when his first girl, like, when he killed her <laughs> husband, and she was on the stand and just like, was like, I can't hear you. <laughs> like, I just, she couldn't hear all of a sudden. And then she dipped out, never to be seen or heard from again. Yep. Well, I'll be listening to that episode again. Yep. A good one. Classic. Let us know if you guys have heard this story, because I think I've slightly heard of this story. Like, it sounded familiar, her killing her parents and hiding the gun in... The hamper. Yeah. So this was a little familiar, but the end, I did not remember at all. Yeah, them feuding over her. That wasn't on the show. I just found that. I'm so sad for her parents. It is so sad. They did nothing except try to be good parents. Try to be good parents and, like, get her to be a good person. Wow. So sad. Normal parents doing stuff with the normal teenager. Yeah, they're the victims of this. I feel really bad. Of course they are, and it's very, very sad. Oh, shit. Anyway, we hope you guys are still staying warm and staying safe this December. Yeah, if you need a pleasant pick-me-up after that, Jackie will link that entire fight on the blog post for you guys to go There were so many comments. Like, there were comments from other people, too, saying that they knew Stephanie, but I wasn't going to get into all that. You guys can read it on your own, but I had to read the drama ones. Because, too, it's like, you never know if these people are fake just trying to be like, oh, I know Stephanie. Yeah, I totally agree. But her little boy drama, I was like... That's hilarious. I'll be reading that for sure. Yep. But thank you guys for listening. Thank you for listening to another episode with us. We love you guys so much. And we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Want to creep on us? Follow us on social media at ew, that's creepy podcast. Or send us an email at ew, that's creepy podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, creepy cats.